Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to this segment on CIO Talk Network. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show as hashtag leadership. Our topic for today is customizing leadership development, and I have with me Darren Hubbard, who's the Chief Information Officer with Wayne State University. Hi, Darren. How are you? Great to have you. And we also have John Cobb, who's the Vice President for Information Services and Technology and Chief Information Officer at uh, Renesler Polytechnic Institute. So how are you, John? I am doing well. That's quite a mouthful for you, Sancho. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you know, the, the reason we created uh, this um, topic was because we were exploring and we have explored leadership for quite a few years and, uh, you know, checking from different angles, how do we develop leaders? And then we thought of why not look at it from an angle where leadership cannot be like one size fit all. And, and we have had celebrity leaders who have shown great results in their own companies, but can we take their learnings and use them as is in another environment? Because some people have tried and they've said, frankly, it doesn't work the same way. So what does it take for us to essentially understand the DNA of a specific organization and try to map it with some of the learnings that we have or some of the other leadership development philosophies and methodologies that have been proposed over the years and see if we can customize that for our organization so the leaders who we actually end up developing are able to create value. So that said, uh, John, my first question for you is, if you were to evaluate leadership development, I would not say it's a lip service, but is that truly a formal process where you put the investment in, you have some specific time allocated and expertise developed in-house or are brought from outside to make sure that it happens on an, on a regular and a methodical manner? Um, yes, we certainly do. Uh, some of it is very much uh, a discipline and, and very straightforward, and some of it is... Uh, just paying attention to the people in our organizations. And you know, I, I look for uh, characteristics of uh, good leaders uh, in some of our uh, junior people. Um, um, do they have the right attitudes? Uh, can they take on tough tasks? Uh, do they have the resilience in, in, uh, in dealing with tough areas, that sort of thing? And then uh, try to look for opportunities uh, to uh, develop them uh, further, either by uh, external coursework or um, certifications uh, or internal uh, activities uh, where they may have, um, once again, some experiment, uh, experiential learning or that sort of thing. And uh, we've been able to develop some uh, pretty good leaders here. Uh, I'm very proud of the group that reports to me. So, um, so Darren, when you look at the organizations where I'm sure, you know, your, your organization may have some of the similar type, I would love to have you share what do you do in your organization, but then is that something which is developed in-house or is it something, okay, here's a kit for leadership development, let's use it? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination. And actually, um, jumping off of what John uh, just said, 
essentially you have a collection of people and individuals that all have you know sort of a core talent base in terms of the technology, but then they all may have different strengths and, and, and weaknesses or opportunities on, on leadership with, with regard to leadership. And so I think it's important to have a nice foundation of you know, some formalized support, either from your HR organization and your institution or by bringing in you know, outside resources to help form a uh, sort of a baseline and then you work with your staff uh, to augment and supplement uh, what they need based on what the the challenges the organization faces. Um, And so we've been very successful at, you know, essentially having core values of leadership uh, instilled throughout the year, throughout, you know, everything that we do, uh, but then also having opportunity for individuals to enhance uh, their skill set through either uh, one-off trainings uh, or specific uh, courses or, or workshops designed directly for those those staff people. So, John, if you were to look at the the specific um, learning that you are supposed to impart and try to audit it against what the value of the organizations are and or the DNA of the organization is, how how close do you? see it be mapped or is there a conscious effort towards it because yeah you can invite people teach them some generic skills but are we really saying okay let's let's also take a second look at what did we uh, start here as an organization where do we want to head and then continually keep a tab on it and correspondingly get the customization done if you will to what is being taught yeah, well, certainly from a, a broader uh, organizational view, um, you, you want to have alignment with uh, the institutional mission, and, and uh, we have a pretty good process in place, uh, which we call performance planning, where we have a, 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 a visionary plan, it's called the Rensselaer Plan 2024. Uh, all of the portfolios, not just the CIO's portfolio, but all the portfolios uh, develop performance plans uh, that are in alignment with that plan. And as a cabinet, uh, we review, I think it's 22, 23 portfolios every year in terms of are those performance plans in alignment. So then you get to your question about leadership. Do you, you see the right leadership, but is it aligned with what the institutional mission and core values are? Uh, th- that's what I would uh, say the DNA is. So, as a as a leader, we are, of course, supposed to deliver results. And, John, to your point that, yes, you can tie it to the performance plan. But then there's also another attribute that a leader should bring is to also help inculcate the right type of habits and mindset among the people who you're trying to develop and not just, you know, rally the troops towards getting results. So, that said, Darren, if you are to help inculcate habits among the people who are going to be leaders or the ones who are leaders going to inculcate in their troop, how are you making sure what those mindsets are, what those habits are, and how do you inventory and measure against what is being taught and that eventually is going to be executed? Uh, is that really happening the way it was intended? Sure, that's a great question. Um, one of the things we do is we lead actually every meeting we have with our, our management team, uh, whether it be my senior team or uh, all of the managers, with basically a, a me talking about what my core values are. And, you know, the, I try to keep it very, very simple. It's essentially four, uh, four values of being a great place to work for our organization, 
supporting the organization, Wayne State University's overall goals and mission, uh, making sure that the technology supports everything that the institution is doing. Uh, then the third one would be making sure that we provide a great technology experience uh, for the campus, and, and we do that via strong partnerships. And then the last, and, and probably most important to me, is that we always add value to whatever situation that we are involved in, whether that be personal or technology-based. Uh, as a unit, we try to bring value and add value to, to whatever process that we are invited into. And so leading with that, we try to base and gauge our success uh, against those, some of those core values and those, sort, those core uh, measures of, of, of both uh, investment in what we do for the campus and then also what our team is able to uh, be able to provide to the campus. So, John, in your view, when you go ahead, do you have a comment? Yeah, I was going to add to that. And I, by the way, I think those are four great values. Um, but one of the other things that we do, in fact, uh, my group just finished this uh, yesterday for our, our uh, division, is we actually have a, a calibration meeting where each one of my six directors brings in uh, their direct reports um, and what their evaluation will be for this year. And they have to present that to the other, uh, the rest of the group. And uh, we map this on a, uh, a grid of behaviors and outcomes, uh, to your point. Uh, so we look at, it's great that people have outcomes, but what were their, what were their behaviors in getting those outcomes? Did they tick off everybody while they were doing it? Or did they really bring people on board? Or were they a great person to work with, but they didn't really accomplish much? And it's very interesting to see the cross-calibration where you have other managers challenging you in terms of, well, you know, that guy really did accomplish a lot, but boy, I hated working with him, uh, or, you know, or vice versa. And uh, th that gets to your point about measuring and uh, then calibrating your organization. And by the way, from that, over time, I'll pick out uh, people with potential leadership to get to the next level. In any way, uh, when we try to help develop uh, leaders, there has to be some form of a measure, and that measure would come from some form of a benchmark that we may create internally, very specific to our organization. Darren, if you were to look at yours, your, your organization, and if there was a certain benchmark, how did you arrive at that? Uh, our, the, the benchmark that we actually go over and review as a team every meeting is our, our customer service KPIs, and that's basically our help desk and their ability to both respond to questions that come in on campus and then actually blending that with the ratings from surveys that they get from the folks that they uh, have supported. And so we, we try to keep that number at about a 95% approval rating um, from the customers that we serve on campus and the you know, university community. And with that, we, we try to literally tease out some of the issues or some of the, the topics that people are calling about and, and need support with and have that flow through our organizational uh, goals and initiatives. And so, for example, if we have folks uh, complaining about Wi-Fi, you know, that becomes a hot-button topic. We then do a follow-up survey of the campus community regarding our Wi-Fi coverage, and then from that we build our plan to then reinvest to, to then measure uh, next year with that same type of survey instrument to see if, if the, the improvements that we've made or the things that we've worked on actually did make a difference and move the needle um, for uh, the, the folks on our campus. And so we, we actually take it 
from start to finish, from the person calling in to our help desk to all the way into our strategic planning process and, and back again to close the loop. And so I think it's important that, you know, you don't just review things and, and, and say, okay, yeah, we have to do better at this. You, you really have to take some active steps and empower your team to take active steps to uh, actually make changes uh, palpable and, and actual, you know, actual changes to your environment to uh, hopefully positively reflect uh, back into your, your organization. So example that you gave, Darren, right now is a workflow example or a process improvement example. And for that, you can create a benchmark, which is very quantifiable, right? And that's why you'd use yeah. the surveys. When we are talking about leadership development, then at that time, and since the topic is leadership development here, the process workflow improvement has a different life cycle versus how you're developing leaders in the process. So frankly, as part of you improving everything that's going to happen, there will be a junior talent who will improve their customer service skills. That's, that's also important. However, when we are looking at a leader where a person may be a mid-manager who's supposed to lead this effort, their leadership development is happening on the ground. At the same time, some sort of a mentoring, et cetera, will have to happen in parallel so that they learn what they have not thought of before which will add to their capabilities and improve the overall outcome. So what about the benchmark? About the benchmark for the leadership development process versus, say, a customer service improvement process. That's the benchmark we are talking. But before you uh, share your input on that, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Darren, a million-dollar question here that while it may be relatively easy, I would not say it's easy overall to make a change in the service, customer service process and lay out certain benchmarks, but here we're talking about something which is not as easily quantifiable, which is leadership development. What are you doing with respect to creating benchmark for that process? Sure. Uh, as, sort of as a parallel process to what we do um, in terms of evaluating our customer service initiatives is to literally try to empower the, the management and some of our junior staffers inside of or in the organization to really look into data and, and propose ideas on how they're going to actually solve these problems. Because it's one thing to you know, make note of a problem, but there, as you all know, there are infinite ways to fix things sometimes, particularly when there is not a clear-cut case of, you know, one thing being wrong or, or one sort of uh, smoking gun that you can identify. And so uh, with that leadership 
uh, process, what we try to do is provide uh, those staff people an opportunity to literally bounce ideas off of other more established leaders to, to then have a, that framework of being able to try ideas out uh, with someone, get some advice, and then go and take that idea forward uh, themselves. And then, you know, we try to see who's successful at what they've uh, attempted to do. And if those things are successful, we, we take note of that. And, and if we have opportunities to advance individuals uh, career-wise into management or uh, just giving them broader responsibilities, we look at their success in those opportunities where they've had to identify both problem, solution, and then implement uh, either by themselves or with the team uh, to then uh, be able to provide additional value uh, ongoing to the, the organization. John, in, in your world, when you have attempted to establish leadership development processes, as basically benchmark for the leadership development processes and or trying to work towards achieving those levels, what are the top challenges that you faced in that process of you know, setting the, the benchmark and then subsequently pursuing it? Uh, well, one of the things I'm always concerned about, uh, you know, we can, as leaders ourselves, we can over-prescribe things um, and think that we understand how to solve something. And uh, what I like to see in, in uh, the folks, particularly future leaders, is how do they take on a hard task, um, uh, work with the, the given resources, and, you know, that's uh, certainly people and uh, systems, and uh, then be creative in solving something. And I'll give you an example. Um, uh, there's a, a, a person that uh, uh, was running our operation uh, for our supercomputing center, and she had not done this before and was new to this, and uh, she was trying to figure things out. And um, there probably weren't enough resources on the operational side, particularly for uh, some of the physical plant side of things. Uh, she was actually creative in finding a, um, a New York State resource, um, uh, a grant. Uh, she wrote a grant proposal and was successful in uh, acquiring a pretty hefty uh, uh, level of resources that's now allowing her to fix uh, things that you can never get the money to fix, like air conditioners and uh, uh, UPSs and things like that, which uh, are critical for a facility like that. And to me, that that you know, did I set a benchmark? Sorry, I wish I could have been that smart. Uh, but uh, after watching her uh, color outside the the box and be creative in solving that problem, uh, she's somebody that uh, will be a director within uh, probably the by the end of the year. So, are you uh, indicating with this example that for a leader to become a leader, they have to show signs of being resourceful? Oh, absolutely, uh, and creative, um, as well as working within um, uh, the, the rest of the organization. I you know, don't want it just a bunch of rogue uh, activity, but um, you know, this was trying to be uh, very resourceful uh, and uh, in a resource-constrained environment, which we're all in nowadays, uh, how do you find the additional resources, particularly for, um, if you will, the less uh, sexy uh, things to support? And and to that, Darren, if we were to take John's example and and kind of explore that a little further, a person who was resourceful was able to come up with a creative solution. Would you think that naturally tells us that they have the chops to become a leader who perhaps has a, 
a s- additional set of they they are like linchpins, right? So so they could get the job done. But anyone who can get the job done is that person automatically showing signs of becoming a leader or even a manager because sometimes they are individually the best contributors however when put in a team or required to manage or lead a team we have seen many of them fail yeah i think it's a thing where you really do have to uh, take stock of the individual because as you just said and and as we've discussed earlier here there are individuals who will show some you know exquisite burst of of creativity and resourcefulness in terms of dealing with problems when they only have to work uh, with themselves as the resource. But working through other individuals is, is something that you need to learn or, or you may have a, you know, sort of an innate talent with, um, and that they're not always uh, you know, sort of resident in the same individual. And so whenever possible, uh, we try, if we notice that there's an individual that has some uh, I'll say resident linchpins, as you as you put it, in terms of being able to be resourceful and and, and really a problem solver and a solution uh, minded individual. If they are showing sort of an interest or an aptitude in in wanting to uh, convert over and, and actually start to be a leader of other individuals, we try to provide them some training. Uh, there are a couple of of good resources uh, that we've identified both here on campus through our, our organizational development arm and then also through uh, national bodies like at Educost, for example, has a great leadership program. Um, those are things that it, because it is typically difficult for sometimes individuals who are used to basing their success off of their own sort of grit and determination to, to you know, sort of translate that through working through other individuals. So it's, uh, it's not always easy because folks, definitely who are results-oriented and driven don't like to fail, uh, don't like other people to fail on their behalf either. So it, it's a challenge, but I think it is a, something that's possible and that you, know, you have to uh, be able to overcome if you want to create great leaders within your organization. John, any comment on what Darren mentioned about that individual that you just mentioned? Do you think that person, just because they delivered something, you are ready to bet your paycheck on that individual so that they become a leader? Um, well, that's not much of a bet, unfortunately, but uh, no, just kidding. Um, I, I think a singular event like that is, is not uh, what a leadership is, uh, leader is about. Uh, but in her case, um, there's some other pieces, and, and, and certainly along the lines of what Darren just talked about and you just talked about, um, she has proven to me that she is... Uh, able to work uh, in a team and a lead a team, and she's done that uh, in several instances uh, in a way that I've been very impressed with. Uh, you know, some of the folks that work in IT are not always the easiest to manage, and uh, she's impressed me by her ability to uh, work with some difficult people and uh, get pretty uh, pretty amazing outcomes. Uh, so beyond this grant writing activity, uh, th- there's other things I was looking for, uh, but that was just one instance where there was something that was kind of unique, and I, I thought it was interesting. So, John, if, if we were to institutionalize uh, the leadership development, would you say the identification of who gets inducted in that academy, if you will, should be an individual dependent. So if you were not the one who identified her because you took notice, then she would not get that special attention. 
is there a way to make sure that it's it's not that okay the person who gets to join that academy and get that special attention is also part of the process versus depending on a manager or someone who is is looking at them and watching them what is what is possible or if at all it is possible and have you been able to institute that in your organization um Probably not as uh, formally as I would like, but um, I spend a fair amount of my day uh, listening to uh, not only the people in my division and my direct reports, but also uh, cross-cutting across the rest of the portfolios in our institution. And I'll hear uh, about somebody did a great job in this, or I was really impressed with somebody who thought uh, through this or, or that. And when those um, either uh, get up to my level, however they do, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of being a CIO, I think, is uh, piecing things together uh, anyway and listening to a lot of conversations. Uh, I do the same thing in leadership. When I, uh, when I hear a number of uh, positive things coming up about creative problem solving or uh, a person that's worth watching because of his or her leadership uh, potential, uh, I'll start to have conversations with their management uh, and start to tease that out. So it may not be as quite as formal as you'd like, uh, but um, I do think it's uh, something I spend a fair amount of time in my day working on. Darren, how can we prevent risk where someone who may have the potential and may be doing some fabulous work in their respective domains and projects, but the people who, in a way, you would have expected to identify and invite them and induct them into that leadership development academy may not really see them either in the same light or maybe there are some other issues which would uh, make them have not exactly a malintent but purposely ignore and that way an organization loses a potential leader. Yeah, that that is, is difficult and I think John hit the nail on the head in terms of part of what the CIO's role is is to be out on the campus or inside of your organization, trying to listen and piece together uh, bits bits of information to to really be able to act upon them. And so oftentimes when you have sort of, I'll I'll paint it as, you know, conflicting imagery of an individual where their direct manager may not necessarily see their total value, but you've gotten positive feedback from, you know, folks out that they actually support. you oftentimes have to figure out a way to either convince their ma- direct manager to, uh, you know, provide them with additional opportunity, or you have to, as a CIO, come in and, and say, you know, let's try to find something. I've heard a lot of great things about you, and I see uh, after doc- talking with your, you know, just sort of direct supervisor that there may not necessarily be the projects in your area that, you know, really stretch, you know, allow you to stretch your muscles and and grow. And so uh, it is incumbent upon, you know, sort of the top leadership of the organization to try and find opportunities for folks. Um, And I have a sort of an interesting take on that as well. You know, as we, I, you know, myself and John as, as well working in higher ed, sometimes I see my organization as sort of a, an addition or a supplemental to the education process that happens at the uh, at the university at large. And so, if it's a situation where I'm having to provide um, an individual additional learning opportunities that you know we may not necessarily be able to act and reward uh, directly, if they then go on to you know either private industry or another institution uh, to to fully 
realize and, and sort of uh, expand into that those new either leadership capabilities or, or or specialty capabilities. You know, I feel like I've done my job because I've I've helped to grow that individual. Um, because unfortunately, you know, I don't have infinite opportunity to, to pass around, and so uh, as much as we can, we try to. But if if another organization you know has a spot or a slot for an individual that will allow them to you know spread their wings, I mean, I, I support that fully, and we we try to prepare. Uh, everyone in our employee uh, to be able to take advantage of those opportunities if they should come. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and then we'll be right back and let's discuss about uh, the actual academy. So suppose we do inject someone in an, in that academy or internal leadership development institute, if you will, and then we have to teach them something. Now let's talk about the coursework. I'm just trying to draw, draw a parallel as if this was an academy. What are we teaching them? Are we taking some things which are like, you know, I've seen sometimes these leadership uh, academies or internal uh, institutes, if you will, they, they are using certain books to be read and then they would discuss those books and they will have some scenario-based learning, etc. How much of that type of a learning is truly useful, especially when we know the context that was in and that celebrity leaders organization could be entirely different from what you have in your organization. So should so should we take those learning as literally as Holy Bible and have that be used as a basis of teaching someone what's the right way of doing something or at least let, teach them how to think well and become a leader. Please stay tuned listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, as we are referring to the academy, which you may have internally in an organization to deliver, develop uh, leaders... There are certain ways that have been seen to be used in such organizations or, or such institutes, if you will, uh, where we are using some celebrity uh, leader uh, lessons, leadership lessons, and use them as a basis to kind of teach what they should do or use them as a basis to uh, discuss scenarios. So, Darren, would you think, given such learnings, and, and because people are essentially learning by connecting dots, and we are essentially hardwiring those dots or connecting those dots based on something some what someone did in a totally different organization. Does it really make sense if you really come down to think of it? It's a difficult proposition because those ideas and concepts and you know actually achievements are born out of a particular environment. And if you don't have all the the elements of that environment present in your organization, 
it's sometimes difficult for an individual to say, okay, I'm going to take this information or take this anecdote or take this concept or strategy that this other person employed and apply it in my situation. It takes uh, literally some skills there to be able to translate that and, and get it to work. And you, you may not always be successful. Um, I find that it's, it's oftentimes better to have a combination or, or sort of a supplemental approach to say, here's some key concepts from uh, you know, some of these leaders who have you know, proven results or, or, or have had success. Here are these concepts. Now let's look at our organization as it stands and see what things we can map to that. I think it's a process that you have to go through because you can't just take, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach and just, you know, take the book and download it and and just apply it. uh, Wrote. You have to really look at similarities you may have with with that organization or the things that can really resonate with uh, whatever that other, you know, sort of celebrity leader uh, may have faced while they were creating that. But it's not always that easy. So, yeah, definitely it's not easy to kind of map it, but there is a tendency for organizations to use them. Not sure why. Maybe it comes easy. Maybe you have some form of a reference point. But is that the right way of doing it? Because it has been done across many, many organizations. John? Well, I agree with Darren. Um, And I'll I'll give a more specific example. Um, I've read a number of uh, Jack Welsh's books on leadership and management, and um, I find conceptually they're very interesting and very good, um, but the environment uh, between <clears throat> what he had at uh, GE and what I have at my university, and I expect what Darren has at his, is much, much different. So uh, can I take the concept, whether I agree with it or not, of the bottom 10% and always turning that over every year um, and apply that in my organization? No, I can't. Uh, not even close. So it's an interesting concept, uh, but it just doesn't apply in this environment. Uh, And yet I think it's useful to read um, his books and others that aren't necessarily uh, higher higher education uh, leadership books. If, If we are just talking about books, that's one thing, because those are just reference material. But when we are teaching, the people who are coming and teaching, maybe they're outside uh, leadership experts, etc. How are we making sure that whatever they're about to teach is actually mapped and or aligned with our organizational DNA? Darren? Uh, one of the things you have to do is literally preview uh, that, that information and, and really work strongly and closely with the individual or organization that's going to come and provide that training to try to give them an orientation to the, the environment that they're going to be stepping into. Uh, I think John said it best, you know, a university is a unique animal even to itself in terms of the larger uh, sort of business culture. And so each institution is going to have its own culture and, 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 and norms. And so you have to provide the context that the trainer is going to come into to be able to effectively map uh, the information that they're going to provide, which you know, to be fair, you know, the, the leadership uh, criteria for one organization across another, there are some core things that, that I think cut across, um, but you have to provide the proper context for it because if, if folks don't see themselves and see their organizations that they work in reflected in some of the, the theories or, or practices being uh, taught, they're not going to be able to take anything of value from that and apply it to their situation. 
So coming to you, John, with respect to the organizational DNA, would you say, if suppose I were to ask this question on air today to say, how do you define your organizational DNA, which basically will become the reference point or a type of basis of you trying to even customize or even talk to that leadership expert you're inviting in? Is that defined? And if yes, in what form? Well, uh, it's uh, it's always hard to, <laughs> in a few sentences, uh, get across what the DNA of an organization is. Uh, I like to believe that we've captured some of that in our uh, overall Rensselaer plan. Um, when our president came in in 1999, uh, she spent about a year putting the original Rensselaer plan together, uh, which we worked off of for about 10 years and then revised it uh, to the Rensselaer Plan 2024. I think that uh, pretty accurately states who we are, uh, where we'd like to go, and uh, somewhat how we'd like to get there. And and that uh, speaks somewhat to the, the DNA. Um, I think uh, you have to know a little bit about in a university, I agree with Taryn, uh, universities are a lot more complex than most people uh, realize, uh, and uh, understanding um, how research fits in uh, with the academic activities, how, to, how does student life fit in, uh, how does athletics work with everything else. Um, you know, one of the things I did in my career is I spent five years uh, running what's called our core engineering program, and uh, Rensselaer is uh, primarily known for its engineering programs, and core engineering is the first two years of most of our undergraduates' activities here. I thought it was kind of a weird uh, zig in my career at one point, but later on I uh, uh, came to understand that I actually understood uh, uh, some of the things in engineering better than most, and that was very useful when I got to the level that I'm at now. One of the approaches uh, that we're taking in terms of leadership development, or I would say one of the goals, rather approaches, which is to not only be make building these leaders for to be consumed today, but also for tomorrow where they may not necessarily stay with the organization. So on one hand, we are saying, okay, let's customize, let's get the most value uh, compared to the organizational DNA, but then also build that common denominator uh, level skills which or, or, or mindset which will help them throughout their lives because that's what we are calling is building legacy as part of developing leaders. So Darren, if, if, is this a, is this part approach of leadership development that far-reaching, that altruistic, and that you know uh, overarching, or is that something we're just giving lip service but actually don't deliver on? No, I, I think it is. It is part of what you need to do um, as a as a leader who is uh, really has the institution's uh, best interest, and then also your your employees, your staff members' uh, best interest at heart. You want to provide them. And you want to provide your organization with skills that are going to be, uh, you know, uniformly seen as valuable, uh, no matter if they work at your organization or some some other place. Because, let's face it, uh, in this world where the average person or average uh, millennial that's coming into our, our organizations may turn over in jobs, you know, three or four times every ten years, you know, th- how you prepare someone in your organization will speak. Uh, to that person's next opportunity, and then further on, uh, that opportunity and, and that place in their resume will, you know, either have a bright, it'll be a bright spot to them, or it'll be a, a weak, a dim light to them. And so, you want to try to provide them with as much opportunity to look fondly upon you, so that 
uh, you know, and universities have to think of the, the long-term gain of, you know, potentially being able to re-engage with an individual when they have children that they need to educate or when they want to uh, engage in philanthropy. And so we look at that and we, we bake that into the, the type of organization and the type of structure uh, that we provide our employees as well because they're an extension of, you know, the university's brand. And so we, we need to uh, ensure that they're not only successful for what we need them to do, but that they are able to be successful in what they want to aspire to do uh, even beyond uh, their employee, uh, their, their employment at our institution. Who should be responsible for this? So, John, if I were to, you know, come in, in your shoes and try to make this work, or even, you know, among many other things, you have to do this. You cannot do it alone, so you need other people. But eventually, where does the buck stop? Because if you don't have good leaders in your organization, you will be left holding the bag. And um, but you need resources. Are are the rest of the is rest of the organization equally motivated and also is ready to support you with dollars and time and energy and and know how to be able to make this happen? Where is this responsibility lying, and where is the accountability with respect to leadership development? Well, I certainly think the primary responsibility is within the organization, I, and I have a, a primary responsibility to develop people. Um, and although, let me, I agree with uh, Darren's uh, very eloquent answer, uh, but let me just add one little piece to it, which is I'm also a rather competitive person, so I'd like to, if I develop uh, very good leaders, I'd like them to stay <laughs> uh, at the yeah. university, contributing to the university. Um, but... Uh, you know, so and that may be part uh, of an answer to your your next this other question. Um, and I certainly partner with our human resources folks and some of our academic uh, folks uh, to um, do what we can to develop somebody. Uh, so, for instance, there's a person that is in our organization right now who uh, just finished his uh, uh, degree in information technology and web sciences. And I think that was a, a very good uh, piece that wasn't necessarily leadership per se, um, but it broadened him out uh, from his base degree. And I, I see him having great potential as a leader as we go forward. So I, I've already uh, identified him at a junior level uh, and certainly working with HR and others will uh, try to find uh, the right uh, activities over the years, whether it's... Um, uh, actual coursework or experiential learning, you know, the right, the right jobs where he'll get challenged and see how he does. Uh, and certainly, as a, you know, we're both Wayne State and Rensselaer are educational institutions. Uh, we believe in education uh, uh, across the board. Let's talk about training the trainer. So who is imparting it? Yes, if you get people from outside, they will come do a capsule, if you were, learning capsule type of a coursework and walk away. But then there is learning happening every day. Somebody's watching them, looking at them, bouncing ideas with them. That means the people who are developing leaders should themselves feel adequately um, talented and or being educated themselves or groomed themselves in order for them to impart and develop other leaders. Who is supposed to make sure that that's happening and is in place? So perhaps, Darren, you and John, I ask you, how do you know that you are equipped to really develop other leaders? And how does organization know that whatever additional um, learning that you need in order for you to be qualified, that's being imparted to you as well? 
I think that, you know, the first acknowledgement that you have to make is that you're never going to be the smartest person in the room, and you, you should always strive to get folks who are smarter than you to tell you, to give you some ideas of what to do. So that the first thing is seeking out some uh, uh, higher knowledge for yourself to, to get educated and, and to be knowledgeable, to be able to then impart that to the rest of your team. I think it's, it's important to always stay uh, current with, you know, whether it be technology, whether it be uh, leadership development, stay current with what the trends and the you know, sort of latest knowledge in that area are and then be able to uh, synthesize that to your organization's uh, needs and uh, training platform that you may be using. So interestingly, you say that you would, you would go out and take courses. Now, in academia, if I understand correctly, there is some sort of a formal measurement of the, the, you know, the, the professors and the lecturers that they are up to speed and there is some sort of uh, benchmarking, if you will. But for a regular leadership development and assuming you being the CIO and also are teaching others, there's no one coming to you, hey, have you taken the tests of it so that we make sure that you are fully equipped? So, John, if I come to you, is that an overkill, or do you think that would really help you to stay on task? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about uh, uh, your environment or Darren's environment, but I'm tested just about every day. So uh, uh, whether it's the formal test you're talking about in leadership or not, but uh, there's things that come up all the time. Um, I, I think uh, Darren uh, very appropriately said that, and let me paraphrase it, that we all need to be learners ourselves. Um, and if you, if you stay in a learning mode, um, I think you're a more effective uh, trainer or teacher. Um, and I'm, you know, leadership is, just happens to be one of the subjects that I uh, care deeply about. So I actually not only do it within my own group, but I actually volunteer to do it with some of the student groups, uh, including some of the sports teams. And, uh, and it's very interesting talking with them about uh, what their goals are, uh, what they're trying to accomplish, and how do they go about accomplishing it, when do they know that um, they have the right leadership, and so on. And I think one of the best ways to uh, be an effective student and, and take the right test is to be a teacher and try to understand how to uh, teach in this area. Looking at the newer generation, um, we have uh, different mindset, different expectations of what's supposed to happen at work and outside of work, um, different generations working together, outsourcing, and many other fundamental shifts in the way business is getting done. All of that is definitely changing the way people will be working with each other, the way they will lead, be leading the troops, and how work will get done. So, John, how do you see all of that impacting the leadership development that you would do for the future generations if you are given the opportunity? Well, first of all, I, I have to say the, the, the students that we're getting uh, today are just terrific. And, you know, we may be in a special place being who we are, but uh, uh, we just have some amazing uh, students uh, once again, I had mentioned the, the work I'm doing with a couple of the sports teams and the, the questions that they ask and their interest in this subject uh, is perhaps beyond where I was at their age. Uh, they're, they're really curious about this. They're really interested in learning about this. And, and one of the things I find interesting <clears throat> is there's no grade associated with this uh, for these students. This is something that uh, is just of interest to them. And they already get the fact that, yeah, they're doing it for 
uh, a particular team and a particular activity, um, but uh, it has value to them well beyond uh, the time they spend uh, on the sports team. So um, this this group is probably this generation is probably uh, ready for change more so than our generation was, and and that's a very positive thing for me. Uh, uh, if, if nothing else, making sure I can stay up with them and provide value to them as we go through things. So, John, what you just mentioned was basically the students who may be coming to learn or get their degrees, et cetera, from your university. Let's move to the, the staff. Even that staff, the makeup of that staff is changing. So, Darren, would you, would you consider leadership development process to morph because what is expected out of in terms of, of an organization in terms of outcome, that may fundamentally also start shifting because a newer breed, a newer generation is taking over. Yes, we, we've noticed some differences in, in sort of the, the drive and the, I'll say, the, the, the value makeup of, of some of the, the newer employees. You know, the, the, I'll say the ones that we're hiring essentially fresh out of their undergrad or, or partially still in their undergrad um, years. Um, however, there are some things that, you know, you're just going to have to be able to do. Uh, being, you mentioned earlier uh, working with the multiple generations. So we've got basically every major generation uh, represented in, in, you know, decent numbers uh, to where as a leader in the organization, you're going to have to be able to work with those folks who may have different value mindsets. So you, if you're the person who's coming in and your life allows you to spend, you know, uh, 12, 13 hours a day at the office, whereas someone else next to you, you know, they may have elder care responsibilities or children of their own that they're, they're trying to uh, take care of. And so work has a different level of importance to them. Not that they're not serious about work. It's just that they may not necessarily be able to stay, you know, the 12 and 13 hours that you're maybe staying. And so providing opportunities for uh the new staff to learn that there are differences in, in the, the level of, let's say, uh, the priority that folks place on being in the office does not necessarily mean that they're not committed to the organization in any, in any sort of way. You just have to figure out a way to manage uh, your expectation of how they're going to contribute with uh, the expectations you have, may have of yourself. And that tends to be where we start with the leadership conversation, and then we, we go on from there in terms of uh, helping folks to realize that a team um, has a different, a lot of different role players. Everyone, you're not going to have an all-star team sometimes. Sometimes you got role players that have a very valued role, and it's the leader's responsibility to find a way to uh, optimize whatever the contributions of, of each individual team member may be. And that sometimes is hard for folks uh, who are coming in you know, from the younger generation because they're used to having people or surrounding themselves with folks who are, are driven as much as they are. Uh, but when you come into an established organization that's not a startup, um, you've got a variety of people to, to be able to work with and to, to learn to um, support in, in slightly different ways than, than you may have thought. If you look at the changes that are happening in the macro business environment and you know across geographic boundaries and everything else, everything is essentially in a flux. And that could also have an impact on an organization. So if, and then, then there are mergers and acquisitions and many others. So maybe that doesn't apply 100% in all cases to an academic institution. But even in your organization, if suppose a new leader comes or there are other changes which is going to 
change the way you work and perhaps even the culture. That is in a way changing the organizational DNA. How do you keep up? And if, if, if it is that such of a moving target, does your benchmark change in terms of how you develop leaders? Because now you want them to be more relevant to the newer DNA. John, how would you, how would you handle that? Um, well, certainly to pick up a little bit on what Darren just said, too, with the, the previous question. I think an important piece of this is uh, building a culture of mutual respect that goes across organizations, across generations, across contributors. Uh, and if, uh, if there's an environment where people want to learn from each other, um, that means that the younger folks can certainly learn from the people that are more established, but the more established folks can certainly learn from the newer talent coming in that's breathing fresh air into the organization. I think uh, uh, to the, your point about changes, uh, to me, in the, the business that we're in, which may be a little different than the rest of higher ed, but the business of IT in higher ed, um, you know, IT, uh, the only constant in IT has always been change. So we, we've already been uh, on that treadmill for a long, long time with Moore's Law and other things. Uh, so we've seen a lot of change in our careers, uh, and we've had to build that change into our organizations or they they wouldn't survive. I mean, if they're still thinking that we're running glass uh, house uh, computing or uh, even fully distributed uh, mobile computing, uh, they're not staying up with where I need them to stay up uh, with things. And so learning from the newer folks that are coming in that are, are more the digital natives and understand some of those things that maybe our more established folks don't know and vice versa is, is a really important piece of our, uh, our value uh, proposition with each other. One final question, 30 seconds for you, Darren. If I were to ask you to help us find ways by which we can practice what is being taught, because you could get them into an, you know, there was a book, actually, you do not learn how to ride a bike at a seminar. So if you were to have people really learn leadership, they have to practice it. What would you offer to them as a as a venue? I would say, uh, actually, just trying to be a leader in your own life. Um, there are some folks who uh, you know, participate in a lot of things outside of the work environment that they either uh, are very engaged in or they're just sort of passive members. The thing that separates out uh, regular team members from leaders is that a leader is not passive. A leader is an active participant and is trying to uh, produce results or provide a vision or pull folks in a direction. And so... One way you can try to, to do this is, you know, literally in your everyday life, try to lead in, in the activities that you participate in. Um, everything may not translate uh, directly, but there are some things that are, as we've talked about, you know, through the hour here, there are some things that are, are just, you know, sort of hallmarks. Uh, John mentioned, you know, a culture of, of mutual respect and appreciation for the talents that everyone brings to the table. Uh, those are things that you're going to face any time that you work, and so whether you know for you know, outside your your outside life or within an organization, so uh, you you kind of learn a lot of this by doing, and so you should try to do it as much as you can. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, Darren and John, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations and the leaders within can help customize leadership development so that it aligns with the organizational DNA and produces the best outcome. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. 
And listeners, hope you enjoyed. Got some nuggets of information and learning here. Please like us on Facebook. Search for CIO Talk Network. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.